Hi everyone, I'm looking today at 2 Nephi chapters 3, 4, and 5. And wow, 2 Nephi 1, Lehi kind of giving some last counsel to his children. 2 Nephi 2, this amazing chapter where Lehi speaks to his son Jacob. And now 2 Nephi 3, 4, and 5 in this lesson. In 2 Nephi 3, Lehi talks to his son Joseph. And there's like four Josephs that show up that are mentioned in this chapter. There's, it's written to, or these words are given to Joseph, son of Lehi, but he speaks of Joseph of Egypt, you know, Joseph in the coat of many colors, and also mentions that there will be a future Joseph who will be named after the name of his father in verse 15. So there's Joseph Smith Jr., and Joseph Smith Sr. And you will notice how much the covenants of the Lord are spoken of in 2 Nephi chapter 3. This is what Joseph, son of Lehi, was reminded of, that this Joseph, son of Jacob, coat of many colors Joseph, was part of this covenant. And the fruit of his loins would write. So Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, as we know. Anyway, I would like to spend most of my time on 2 Nephi chapter 4. One of the things I just find fascinating here is when Nephi says, O wretched man that I am. Now, most of us would love to be as wretched as Nephi. And he is mourning the death of his father, perhaps looking at his family falling apart, maybe was hoping to stay, keep all of the children of Lehi together, but that was not going to happen. And so in verse 17, he says, Notwithstanding the great goodness of the Lord in showing me his great marvelous works, my heart exclaimeth, O wretched man that I am. I like that it's, he's talking about the great goodness and the greatness and marvelous works of God, but I am wretched. My heart sorroweth because of my flesh. My soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. And I am encompassed about because of the temptations and sins which do so easily beset me. And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. And then this, uh, let's see, what's this word called? A conjunction? Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. Next two words, my God hath been my support. Now, that is so huge. I think we're living in a day when we want to instead tell each other how awesome we are. And you know, there's a lot of awesomeness out there. But I think it's instructive to see that Nephi didn't go to, to that place I'm great, I'm awesome, I've been called, I've been saved for this day. And sometimes we, we do that to each other, and I think that's true to a degree. But we know that with Moses and with Enoch, I just love these stories. For example, in Moses chapter 6 in the Pearl of Great Price, but the story is about Enoch. When Enoch was called, so this is Moses 6.31, 
when Enoch had heard these words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord and spoke before the Lord, saying, Why is it that I have found favor in thy sight, and am but a lad, and all the people hate me? For I am slow of speech, wherefore am I thy servant? And what I love is the answer that both Enoch get, gets, the answers that, that are given to both Enoch and Moses is not, you're great, you're awesome, you're amazing, but it's, I will be with you. That's kind of the answer. He says, my spirit is upon you, verse 34, all thy words will I justify, the mountains shall flee before you, the rivers shall turn from their course, thou shalt abide in me and I in you, therefore walk with me. That's awesome. He didn't tell Enoch how awesome he was. He just said, it's on. I'll be with you. <laughs> and let's look at what uh, happened with Moses. This is Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Now, we can take a little side note and say, was he really, did he stutter? Did he have some sort of speech problem? Or was it just that he only spoke Egyptian and not Hebrew? I don't know. I've heard all those speculations. I don't really know what exactly slow speech means, but that's kind of beside the point I'm trying to make here. So what does the Lord say in verse 11? Who made man's mouth? Who maketh the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have, I, have not I the Lord? Therefore go, I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. So there again is the answer. I don't think the Lord wants us to say, I'm great, I'm awesome, I'm special. But I do think he wants to, us to realize we need help. We need God with us. And when God is with us, we can do extraordinary things. So what does Nephi do? I know in whom I have trusted. And then he goes on for the next few verses, not to talk how awesome he is, but how awesome God is. My God hath been my support. He hath led me through mine afflictions in the wilderness. He hath preserved me upon the waters of the great deep. He hath filled me with his love. He hath confounded mine enemies. He goes on and on this way. And something similar Mary does. Mary, the mother of Jesus. I put this in my little Christmas book. I think I mentioned it on the Follow Him podcast. That Mary, in a time of great exaltation, doesn't say, I'm great, I'm awesome, even though she was also highly favored. Nephi it gets the same words, being favored of the Lord. But what does she say? She says, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And she goes off on how wonderful God is. I just, I love that whole idea that it's not about me, it's about God. And that's what they tie to Mary in a time of exaltation, Nephi in a time of confronting his own weakness. I remember hearing, I believe it was on a Gene R. Cook cassette that I had years ago, that one time a couple of apostles came to Brigham Young and said, we need to resign. We, After hearing a great speech, we're just not, not up to this. And that according to this Gene R. Cook tape, Elder Cook said that Brigham Young said, oh no, brethren, you'll, you'll, you'll notice that the closer you get to God, the further away you'll realize you really are. Which I thought was an interesting thing. <laughs> when we get closer to God, we feel, we sense our own weakness. Now, is there a way to take what's been called Nephi's psalm, 
and apply it to our lives. So the Psalm of Nephi is like, you know, 17. No, I guess we'd start in 19 through 31, maybe even further. But if you, if you apply it to yourself, and if we apply it to ourselves, what can we see? We can see that God will support us in our trials. God will lead us through our afflictions. God will preserve us. God will fill us with love. He will confound our enemies. He will hear our prayers. He will give us knowledge. We may even have angels administer to us, and he will bless us with visions. So you can even make your own list. Has God done any of these things for you? What has he done for you? It'd be a, a fun exercise to kind of make that list because I'm amazed at how many of us, if we were to ask the question, have you felt or experienced miracles in your life? It's amazing how many of us raise our hands. Yeah, I have. And with me, I think about my brother that I donated a kidney to way back in 1990. They told us, told our family, told him that 95% of new kidney, kidney recipients will have an episode of rejection in the first year. But we had a blessing from Elder Rex Pinneger. My brother David was working on a project for the church. He's an audio engineer. They wanted it immediately. And so we thought, oh, maybe he'll just heal him. But he didn't heal him. But he did tell him, your body will not reject the new element. That's the exact phrase he used. That's the one I remember from the blessing. And it didn't. In 25 years, no rejection. There were some other things, but there was not rejection of the kidney. And he, he got a new one after mine wore out after 25 years. But um, that's just one that I can mention. Every one of us, I think, can look around and say, yeah, I've seen these kinds of things that Nephi described in my own life. Well, in 2 Nephi chapter 5, there's just a couple of phrases that I really love. One of them is verse 17. It came to pass that I, Nephi, did cause my people to be industrious and to labor with their hands. One of the tapes that I did, well, actually it was a CD, I think, for Deseret Book many years ago, was called Farm Wisdom for City Folks. And if you have the Bookshelf Plus app, the Desert Book, then, then you have it for free. I have that Bookshelf app. I have hundreds of books from Desert Book on there. It seems after a few years, they make them free, but you have to have the app. And the app is like $10 a month, or if you're a Desert Book Platinum, it's $7 a month or something like that. So I have that, and or you make a, maybe could find that Farm Wisdom on eBay or whatever if, if you want it. But I did cause my people to be industrious. I just think that's interesting that that was kind of like job one. Let's, let's get to work. And then they decided to build a temple in verse 16. Before this, they'd been living in tents, and now they're making more permanent structures. I mean, you could imagine that Nephi could have said, I did cause my people to relax, or I did cause my people to rest from their labors. But instead, he says, I caused my people to be industrious. And why would he do that? Well, Elder John Longden quoted someone named Herndon. I know when you only have one name, they must be very famous. H-E-R-N-D-O-N. Maybe he, he or she has a first name. And here's that interesting statement that Herndon, whoever that is, made. Satan selects his disciples when they are idle. Jesus selected his when they were busy at their work. 
That's very interesting. And I think that folks have a tendency to get in trouble when we have nothing to do. So the old proverb I learned from the musical, The Music Man, that we used to watch when we were kids, the idle brain is the devil's workshop, or the devil's playground, and the music man's, you know, dancing around the pool table, telling everybody that the pool table is going to ruin the town, and he has the solution, buy musical instruments and start a boys' band. You know that President Ezra Taft Benson was the Secretary of Agriculture under President Dwight D. Eisenhower. And President Benson made this interesting observation. And this is, this is a long time ago. This is 1993. He said, Today we are witnessing a trend in all countries, a trend away from the work ethic to the welfare ethic. To put it another way, you young people have no doubt heard some express that it is their right to be supported by another man's labor. That philosophy is wrong. It has proved the ruination of character in individuals and the downfall of nations. Now, you'll recall that right after Adam and Eve fell, this interesting phrase, By the sweat of your face shall you eat bread. It's not by the sweat of other people's face that you eat bread. <laughs> it's by the sweat of your face will you eat bread. And what an interesting idea of going from a work ethic to a welfare ethic. Everybody take care of me. And he spoke that it ruined President Benson's character and the downfall of nations. Another thing I want to mention that I just love is 2 Nephi chapter 5, verse 27. We lived after the manner of happiness. Happiness is not a destination. It's a way of life. It's a mode of travel. And often we are, we kind of put uh, deadlines or conditions on our happiness. As soon as I graduate, I'll be happy. As soon as I, I get married, then I'll be happy. Which becomes, well, maybe when we have children, we'll be happy. Or as soon as these kids move out and get on their own, we'll be happy. And when we put deadlines on happiness, it never comes. So happiness then is more a way of life. And to close out that thought, Joseph Smith said, happiness is the object and design of our existence, and it will be the end thereof, and will be the end thereof if we pursue the path that leads to it. And this path is virtue, uprightness, faithfulness, holiness, and keeping all the commandments of God. So not only do we have happiness defined as a, a manner of, of life, but here the prophet Joseph Smith says it's a path. There's a path that leads to it. Virtue, uprightness, faithfulness, holiness, keeping all the commandments of God. Or what, perhaps what President Nelson might call, you know, the covenant path. And it's the object of our, it's the design. We were designed for happiness. It's the object of it. And it will be the end thereof. Even in the midst of trials, uh, we can find happiness. And I think that often comes because, and only comes when we have an eternal perspective and we see the message in our misfortunes. And we see it's refining us and helping us become like the Savior who also went through so many things. 
Well, I hope this has been helpful as you look at 2 Nephi 3, Leah's counsel to Joseph, 2 Nephi 4, Nephi's psalm, and how he, he ties himself to God to get through that hard time, and 2 Nephi 5, living after the manner of happiness. And we'll see you next time.